Let's pray. Dear, dear Heavenly Father, um, give us understanding of your word. Please show us how to live to please you and um, give us understanding now and uh, I pray that what I say will be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're looking at living to please God. And uh, because you haven't got an outline, um, I will get on to living to please God, why we do it, how we do it, um, being sanctified, especially in the area of spiritual maturity, sorry, uh, sexual purity. I'll t say a few words about um, brotherly love and uh, then there'll be morning tea. So today we're talking about living to please God. So what do you think the Christian life is supposed to look like? Um, if you become a believer at a convention or an evangelistic speech, what is next? Um, the Christian life is not intended to be a passive experience, like floating downstream in a raft or in a canoe with the current or sitting on a veranda smoking a cigar, if you're that way inclined, or sipping iced tea, watching the world go by. We're not, as Christians, intended to, once we're converted, to kick back and um, wait until we pass into the next world living as we please. So when we become believers, of course, we gain the position or the status of being holy before God the Father. It's in Colossians 1.21 it says, Once you are alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Now, when the Father looks at us, he sees the perfection of his Son. Because Jesus' blood was spilled on the cross, um, we who are believers have been given the position, the status of being considered holy and right with God. But as I said, God wants more than converts. Uh, Jesus' words in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, um, verses 19 and 20, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. God wants more than converts. He wants disciples trained in obedience. But this training process is um, an ongoing one. You don't really graduate um, in this world where uh, a trained in an ongoing fashion so that we can please God more and more. So Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 um, that Heather read from verse 1, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you 
by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul commended the uh, Thessalonians for already doing a good job living to please God, but he also encourages them to do this more and more. When I was um, in primary school, um, I came home and um, in a maths test I'd got 9 out of 10. And I told this excitedly to my mother and said that I'd got 9 out of 10 and she said, well, that's good. Next time, get 9.5 out of 10. Now, I was crestfallen. Um, I wanted to savour that uh, 9 out of 10 for a while, but um, I'm sure my mum had the best of intentions, but um, it, it didn't feel too good at the time. Now, God wants us to do more and more, to please him more and more, um, but there's a different dynamic at work. First, we obey God. Why do we live to please God? First, we obey God to express our gratitude for what he's done for us, past, present, and future. So in the past, he's created us. He's made a way of salvation for us. In the present, he sustains us. And in the future, he's prepared a place in heaven for us and will bring us safely home. So in John 14, um, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me uh, that you also may be where I am. So because um, Jesus has done, or God has done, uh, things to benefit us and will bring us safely home, we trust and obey him out of gratitude in this life. Second, we obey God because um, he knows what is best for us. We trust him by submitting to his lordship. We trust him that our heavenly, that our heavenly father only wants good things for us and living his way is the path to joy. Um, if children are seeking to please their parents, children are going to sleep. Um, <laughs> if children are seeking to please their parents, um, they'll obey them uh, with a good attitude, all other things being equal. So as... God's children, God's adopted children, uh, to please him, um, we obey with the right attitude. So Christian obedience isn't just a moral code. So in Boy Scouts, in Cubs, um, you're told to do your best. <coughs> um, we'll dib, 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 dob, dob, dob. I think it's Heather. Can you, no technical assistance there? Do your best, do our best. Uh, yeah, excellent, excellent. Were you a Queen's Scout? No? Okay. Anyway, 
I digress. So, so that's a moral ethic. It's live a certain way, but it's not really aiming to please someone. Um, but with God, we, we don't just follow a moral code. It's relational obedience, an expression of love. So John 14, 23, um, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teacher. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So the question then is, how do we live to please God? First, to grow in obedience, we need an ever-increasing understanding of uh, what God requires. So this means reading the Bible, being under good teaching and not falling in, uh, into a bad attitude. Second, God sends the Holy Spirit to indwell us, work in us, convict us of sin and empower us. So we cannot change ourselves in our own strength. Um, God sends... Sorry. Yeah, we cannot change ourselves in our own strength. Um, I've lost my place. Yeah, but God works through his spirit. Jesus says in John 14, 25, All this I have spoken while still with you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And third, fellow believers are there to encourage us and stir each other on in our faith in obedience and righteousness. So that's why we're meeting this morning and that's why we meet in small groups during the week to pray and read the Bible together. So, so far we've seen that God wants more than converts. He wants obedient disciples growing in holiness and conformity to God's will. Um, our obedience is an expression of gratitude for what God has done in the past, present and future. And in our obedience we're trusting God that he is our Lord, our Father and wants the very best for us. And God provides us with the Holy Spirit, the Bible, and Christian brothers and sisters to help us. Section of 1 Thessalonians 4, <coughs> excuse me, um, Paul speaks of being sanctified, especially in the context of sexuality. 1 Thessalonians 4 from verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage uh, of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you come to Barney's regularly, you might think that we're obsessed with sex, or maybe it's just Joe who's obsessed with sex. So we had a four-week series late last year on the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Um, we have regular references to the dangers of porn, and um, and today a reference to sexual purity. And we also had Patricia Wirakun come to teach us about sexuality, and I think there's a focus on um, bringing children up in a sexualised sort of world. And we do live in a strongly sexualised world. Um, <clears throat> porn is just a click away on our computers or other devices. Um, fashion and beachwear in the West involves less and less um, material um, and more and more flesh. MTV clips um, are like yesterday's soft porn and sexual expectations um, are higher and more perverse than ever. And sex is a powerful force designed to bind a married couple together, but it's also its misuse is powerful in damaging people in relationships and potentially taking Christians away from the faith. And Christian teaching on sexuality is mocked by the world. We're thought to be prudes if um, we're not, um, if we have sex before, if we don't have sex before marriage, um, or don't conform to the world's pattern. Um, the counsel that a lot of people would give someone who's single um, is, you know, have sex just to make you feel better for a few days. Um, the world thinks we're haters if we don't endorse the practice of homosexuality. So the pattern of the world of pagans who do not know God is sexual immorality driven by passionate lust. And sadly, those who indulge damage themselves and others. In 1 Corinthians 6, from verse 18, Paul writes, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. So Christians are called to be sanctified, including in the area of sexuality. Now, sanctified is not a word we use day to day. I don't say to Heather um, after she come, comes back from work, so do you feel sanctified today? Was William Carey Christian Schools, did that encourage you in sanctification? Did the, the, the kids in English cause you sanctification or aggravation? Um, to sanctify is not a word we use day by day. It means to be made holy, to be set apart and sacred. We'd have the family stamp. Uh, of God by living his way and obeying his teaching. So to be sanctified in the area of sexuality is avoiding sexual immorality, controlling our body in a way that's holy and honourable 
and not being impure. And um, we've been through God's pattern for marriage in our um, sex series last year with Joe. Um, we were talking about leaving and cleaving and becoming one flesh. And um, uh, God creating a companion for Adam. Well, this is all very well. Uh, it's, it's great for the preacher up the front to spout platitudes, but how can we be pure? How do we not compromise? Um, a start is a clear view, a high view of the role of sex in marriage. To understand that God's pattern of two becoming one, of leaving and cleaving, becoming one flesh. And the Bible encourages us, encourages us to delight in the wife of our youth in Proverbs 5. So Carly, just close your eyes, close your ears here. Um, it says there, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace um, the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all of your paths. So intimacy is preserved for marriage between one man and one woman for life. And um, But... The counsel in Proverbs 5 is rather than be tempted or distracted by uh, others, other women, um, I should focus on Heather. So we married when I was 26, she was 24, and in my head she still looks like she did when she was... 24. So that's the the mind frame you want. So um, your physical and emotional satisfaction is at home. So we're instructed to guard our eyes and flee from immorality. Um, Proverbs 5 verse 8, referring to the adulteress, says, Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. Now, of course, this um, Proverbs 5 is in the format of Solomon advising his son or one of his sons um, about sexuality. But, of course, that equally applies... Um, if a mother was counselling her daughter uh, about the hazards of men um, or unfaithful men. So we need to guard our thought life and resist temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And as in any, with any sin, um, there is forgiveness and healing. God can work great things. So sexual immorality is a powerful force and we're ridiculed by the world for not joining in, not following the world's pattern. Um, but our aim is to please God 
to live his way and follow his pattern for marriage. We need to guard our eyes, flee sexual immorality and resist temptation and trust God for a way out. And um, we need to pray that God will sanctify our thought life. Well, let's finish with just a couple of words about brotherly love. In 1 Thessalonians 4 from verse 9, Paul writes, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Now, I've got a younger brother called Tim. And um, we had a, a very close relationship as we were growing up. Tim's, Tim's a bit eccentric. Um, he voluntarily wore tartan pants um, socially, um, not, not while golfing. Um, he used to get a lot of his clothes at Vinnie's. Um, so he's a bit eccentric in some ways, but we had a special relationship. We, in our youth, we did a lot of water sport together, kayaking and fishing and sailing. Uh, we went on cycling trips and hiking trips, and we went to um, largely to the same churches and the same fellowships. And I guess with all that time uh, together, there's a lot of what psychologists call emotional intelligence happening. So we could read each other. Uh, we knew what each other needed. We shared and we confided uh, quite intimately. Now, Christians with brotherly love are other people-centred. They're open to the needs of others. They're willing to invest time, money and resources where needed. And as Paul says to do these things more and more, to please God. Now, during the week I had a, a meeting in the city and um, I could take a support person with me and one of the guys from my Bible study took half a day off work, came in with me, brought me, bought me coffee, went to the meeting, supported me, bought me another coffee and uh, we went home. So he perceived a need, he happily stepped in and um, at, at a fair bit of expense to himself, he came along and helped out. So, other person-centred, open to the needs of others, investing time, money and resources. So, let's, let's conclude uh, and we'll conclude by praying. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to live to please you, to obey you and live your way more and more, spurred on by gratitude. Strengthen us and teach us, fill us with your spirit and help us to encourage each other in right living. Help us to grow in sexual purity and forgive us when we fall short. Help us to exercise brotherly love to be looking for opportunities to serve each other. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.